My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Well, good morning, and welcome to Our Sunday School. We're glad you're with us this morning online, and happy Easter. He is risen. So if you see that online somewhere today, please respond with the centuries-old retort from Christians, He is risen indeed. So He is risen, and we are excited to rejoice in that fact this morning. If you got your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 7. Uh, we'll get there in just a second. But for those of you that are uh, not familiar with us, uh, and our Sunday school. Uh, if you want to get today's handout, uh, you can either click on the link that Julie just posted in the comments of this particular uh, lesson on Facebook, or you can go to OurSundaySchool.com and then click on the Read tab and uh, scroll all the way to the bottom to today's date and click on the white T for the teacher notes for today's lesson. Now, today's handout is uh, lengthy because we're back to normal. And today's handout is for three weeks, uh, very likely at least three weeks, certainly uh, Lord willing two weeks, uh, but very likely for three weeks worth of content. So just hang on to this one. Uh, you don't need to print out another one next week. Just hang on to these notes uh, and we'll move forward. So the question we ask each week is, uh, what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? So while you're thinking and soaking on that, I just want to greet uh, many of you this morning. So I see Barry Cole and Albert. Uh, the Barbers are here. The Arnolds are here. Sabrina. Hey, Sabrina. Uh, Julie's on the couch. This is good. Uh, Star is here. Hey, Star. How you doing? Uh, the Landers, the Millers, the Reeds, the Pelosans, uh, the Johns, the Johnsons, the Bandys, uh, the Benefields. A good crew this morning. Uh, the Arnolds, fantastic. I'm uh, excited to see you guys uh, participating with us online this morning. So thank you for being here. So if you have any answers to the what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far, I'd love to see those in the comments so we can engage with that now. Uh, if you want to email those to me later, you can, or if you want to uh, just put those in the comments after we're finished with the lesson today, that's all great too. Uh, because, hey, the clicks are here, yay. Uh, and uh, that would be wonderful to be able to see. So if you got your Bibles, we'll open up uh, to Mark chapter 7. So if you're joining us new and you haven't been with us so far uh, in our study of the Gospel of Mark, we started at the beginning of 2019 and uh, have been going week by week, and we are just now starting chapter 7. So three things there, probably. One, uh, we're not in a hurry. Two, uh, we're not in a hurry. And three, we're not in a hurry. Uh, we'll, it'll be all right. So just a quick review of where we are so far in Mark. Uh, John the Baptist introduced Jesus. Uh, we got to see him. We got to see the baptism of Christ, the temptation of Christ. Uh, Jesus began his ministry. He called his disciples. And then he began healing and healing and preaching and healing and engaging those who were coming with questions and answers and uh, trying to figure out who he was. Uh, he engages more with so many different people. Uh, we see him uh, scorned by his own family. We see him teaching again in chapter 4 with these parables. Uh, we see him healing a man with a demon in chapter 5 and a woman and Jairus' daughter in chapter 5. And then he's rejected again at Nazareth 
Uh, he sends out the apostles in chapter 6. We see this long uh, excursus in chapter 6 about the death of John the Baptist. And then we come back and we see him healing, we see him feeding the 5,000, walking on the water, healing the sick in Gennesaret. And then we're dropped into chapter 7. So that's the context of chapter 7. I want to read all the way through chapter 7 today for us. Uh, so if you're listening, stop what you're doing, pay attention, listen to the words of the Lord. I was talking to a brother last night. Uh, about how comforting it is to know that no matter what we do as far as teaching, the reading of Scripture is a sure and steady uh, obedience to the command of uh, the apostles uh, of give yourself to the public reading of Scripture. So uh, listen up as, as I read. Mark chapter 7. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts and sexual immorality, theft and murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed, and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him 
to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephitha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute to speak. He has done all things well. Amen and amen. So we typically start a new section by asking a couple of questions because that's what Bible study is. And if you're new to Bible study, welcome to Bible study. We actually take the text and we study that. We don't study what someone wrote about the text. We study the text. So one of the questions that I like to ask when we move into a new section is, are there any literary or structural observations? So in this particular section, this section that the ESV is titled Traditions and Commandments, from verses 1 down through uh, verse 14, I believe it is, uh, one of the things that you'll see, verse 13, uh, one of the things that you'll see is that Jesus quotes some Old Testament authors. So he quotes Isaiah and he quotes uh, Moses, and Mark has recorded these here, and he's also made reference to several Pharisaical traditions. So we'll talk about those traditions today as well. So as we uh, look at uh, Mark chapter 7, if you've got your Bibles open, look at Mark chapter 7. I'm about halfway down the page uh, 209 on your handout. And just a brief word about how this handout was constructed. So we take the, the English text of the ESV, and then every time there's a, a Greek word, because Greek is the original language that the New Testament was written in, every time there's a Greek word, we insert that word in brackets, and uh, we list the Strong's number. That's what the G2532 is for the word chi. It's the word and. We show the Greek word. We show the English transliteration, the part of speech, and then the definition, and then how many times it shows up in Mark. Just, just to give you a little bit of an orientation to the handout. So chapter 7, verse 1. Now, when the Pharisees, so we get to Pharisees, and if you're looking at your handout, you'll notice that I've highlighted the word Pharisees, and I'll, I'll pause and comment on the highlights here as we go through. So when the Pharisees gathered. So the Pharisees were these, uh, think about them as uh, religious, uh, zealot-like, extreme uh, fanatics for keeping the law. So where they could be as rigorous and strict as possible. Think about them. If you have a list-making friend, your list-making friend would have felt at home with the Pharisees because they wanted to take the, the text of Scripture, the text of the Old Testament, and then make sure that they didn't even come close to violating the letter of the law. And we'll talk about that as we move through a little bit later today. So now when the Pharisees gathered to him, so the him here is referring to Jesus. He's been the context and the, the focus of Mark all the way through. It's immediately referenced at the end of verse, at the end of chapter six. So when the Pharisees gathered to him, and you might be thinking, why would the Pharisees be gathered to him? Well, we'll, we'll see that in here in just a second. With some of the scribes, and the scribes would have been the more intellectual class. So these, these were the folks that were responsible for uh, making copies of uh, the Old Testament for uh, many times uh, teaching uh, what they were doing uh, to others. So you've got the, the religious fanatics and kind of the intellectual crowd uh, who had come from Jerusalem. So they had come from uh, Jerusalem. And 
one of the things I want to show you here is where we are. Uh, and you like that, Barry Cole? I thought you'd like that. So where we are right now is uh, we are down here in, uh, we're actually up north where the, the Red Star is up top uh, near Gennesaret. And these scribes had come from Jerusalem. So this was a hundred and... It's, I think it's a little over 100 miles away. So this is not a short trip. This would have been a pretty uh, significant exercise to move to get to where Jesus was at this point. But they had a reason for doing this. So look at the text again. So now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. So a couple of observations here. Well, we just finished a story in chapter 6 where Jesus fed 5,000 men. And we expect there were several thousand others as well there, women and children. So there were a lot of people that followed him. And their motives varied. There were people that followed him who wanted to be fed. There were people who followed him who wanted to be fed physically, who wanted to be fed spiritually. There were people who followed him who wanted to be healed. There were people who followed him who wanted their friends to be healed. We finished up a section in chapter 6 talking about this habitual movement toward Jesus of bringing your friends so that they might be healed. They would set them where they thought he might go. And in chapter 7, we see the Pharisees and the scribes showing up around him as well. And this was common. This was very common throughout Jesus' ministry. If you read through the Gospels, which I would encourage you to do this week, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, notice how many times the Pharisees are around him. Notice how many times the scribes are around him. Notice how many times the elders are around him. And we'll talk about those groups as we go through today's lesson. But their motives varied for being around Jesus. And one of the things that will be helpful to us as we study the scripture is to look for the motive of the reason why someone asks him a question. And the, the motive of the Pharisees and the scribes was blatantly obvious. It, it, is, it is laid bare to us in all four of the Gospels that they're trying to find something to accuse him of so that they can bring charges against him so that they can have him killed. Spoiler alert, they do end up uh, falsifying charges against him. One of his own betrays him. He does end up being killed by an unjust legal system, the Roman Empire. But boy, that wasn't the end of the story. And I've worn my Easter shirt today. I've been holding on to this one for quite some time, so hopefully you can see it. Uh, you only live once, LOL. Joking, be right back, Jesus. So there you go. There's your Easter shirt today. Uh, so be on the lookout for what the motives of these individuals might be as they move through the story. Now, you'll notice on page 210, at the top of page 210, all the locations where in Mark where Jerusalem is mentioned. And Jerusalem becomes far more prominent later in Mark. And we'll, we'll focus a bit more on it and the elevation and the, the geography and those types of things as we get closer to that. Uh, but uh, one of the things I want you to see real quick in verse 2, they saw that they, the, the uh, Pharisees and the scribes, they saw that some, not all, but some, of his disciples, of Jesus' disciples, ate with hands that were defiled. Now, if you have a different translation than the ESV, you, you might see in your translation the words the, the bread or their bread or their food also included. And those words are rightly translated because they do show up in the original text. I've highlighted them there for you on the handout. 
uh, ho and artos, the, the and bread. So some of his disciples ate the bread with hands that were defiled. Now, I've had several different people this past week uh, and, and many dozens over the years ask me, are you not concerned with uh, the, the Christian liturgical calendar? And when you pick a book of the Bible and you just go through and, it, and you don't stop and acknowledge that Easter's going on or Christmas is going on or some other religious uh, event is going on, do you ever worry about that? And I, I, I don't. Uh, one, because our church, Stewart Heights Baptist Church, we have pastors who deal with those types of liturgical uh, calendar issues in the Sunday morning sermon, which is fantastic, which kind of frees us up in Sunday school to pick a book and just and walk through. And then the other thing is that uh, I have a shocking confidence in the sovereignty of God uh, that he knows exactly where we should be. So I don't think it's uh, at all shocking that we would be studying a text that talks about washing hands in the middle of a global pandemic. So there you go. God knows what he's doing. He is flawless in his timing, as is evidenced by the celebration that is occurring around the world today with Easter. So they noticed that the disciples uh, ate with uh, hands that were defiled. And the Greek word here is koinos. It's a very similar word to koinonia, the, the community, the fellowship type word that we see later on in the epistles many times referring to church. So they were defiled, this uh, koinos. It means common or profane. This idea that um, they hadn't done anything special beforehand. That is unwashed or uncleansed, uh, ceremonially uncleansed. And this is one of the uh, this is one of the things that I want to show you how the Pharisees and the scribes operated. So take your Bibles. Uh, we're going to go for just a second because he's really making a reference here to these traditions. Um, I want you to go flip over to Exodus. Let's go to Exodus. I know. Careful. We're going outside of Mark. It's all right. We're going to go to Exodus. We're going to go to Exodus chapter 30. So if you're new to the Bible, Genesis is the first book. Exodus is the very next one. Exodus chapter 30, verse 19. And this is directions that uh, God gave to Moses around the specific items and articles inside the tabernacle and how they, the priests were to engage and approach with these articles and to engage in the worship of God. We we'll start in verse 17. The Lord said to Moses, you shall also make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of the meeting and the altar. You shall put water in it with which Aaron and his, Aaron's the priest, high priest, and his son shall wash their hands and their feet. So there's this, this washing that Aaron was supposed to do with his sons and those that were of the priestly line that were supposed to do. Flip over to Exodus chapter 40. Uh, 10 chapters in, and look at verse 12. So the, the tabernacle is being uh, constructed at this point. Uh, verse 12, it says, Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall wash them with water. So there is Old Testament uh, precedent for washing before the priest goes into the tabernacle to perform his priestly duties. And I, want to, I want you to see how things work 
in the time of Jesus and where things were relative to uh, their teaching of the Pharisees and the scribes. So they were given the Old Testament. So this is kind of the base, right? And then on top of the Old Testament, what they begin to pile are additional teachings. So there are apocryphal books. These are books that are not canonical. They're not found in our uh, English Bibles. Uh, these are books that are of spurious uh, history. They're, they sometimes contain some elements of historical fact, but they are not inspired like the other Old Testament books. So these, these teachers would add these other books, and they found even more spurious and uh, doubtful books. This is the Pseudepigrapha. I uh, practiced 20 times, and you can say it quickly. Uh, Pseudepigrapha. This is the, the highly doubtful, very questionable books. And even in them, there are some elements and some nuggets of things that are true. Uh, Jude, in uh, his epistle, uh, at the very end of the New Testament, actually quotes from the book of Enoch, one of the pseudepigraphal books, and it makes reference to something that that this writer has written down. So there, there are some there's some glimmers of things that are good, and then we get to the really troubling things. And and what I've shown you here, the Mishnah, Gemara, and the Talmud, these things develop. These are the teachings and the commentary of the Old Testament, and many times the New Testament. Uh, 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 scribes and Pharisees and uh, Jewish uh, religious leaders that they would add on to and add on to and add on to and add on to and add on to. And I want you to look and see what they've done to the Old Testament. They've minimized God's actual words and they've buried it under all these other things that are not God's word. So here's a caution to us. Stick with the text. We do well to stick with the text that God has given us. We do well not to add. We do well not to take away. We do well to stick to the text. When we start adding in additional rules and requirements and opinions and commentary and thoughts and perspective, what we do for those trying to understand God's word is that we blur and we hide the actual words of God. And that's what these Pharisees and scribes had done here. They had taken all of this junk that had been stacked on top of God's word as just as important as God's word. So they've got all this opinion and they're asking Jesus about this opinion. So don't miss that fact because this is going to be very important as we move through today's lesson. So they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. Now at the beginning of verse three, I don't know if you're uh, big into underlining or writing in your Bible, but you, I'm gonna have you take note of something at least that you might not think is a big deal, but there's an open parentheses in the ESV. And all of verse three and all of verse four are in a, par a parenthetical. And they are something that helps explain the comments that were just made. So we're going to treat this as a parenthetical. It's helpful for context. It's helpful for understanding. But it's not the, the point of the story. So we're not going to get into all the pharisaical traditions of washing. It, we saw the text where they kind of get this from. And we saw how they have changed this over time. That they have taken this thing that was the expectation and the rule for the high priest doing sacrifice and worship 
of the Lord in the tabernacle. And they have placed that requirement then on everybody before they eat. So not only have they misplaced the target of the command, they've misplaced the frequency of the command, and they've misplaced the application of the command. This is just gross, gross erring in understanding Scripture. So it's really sad. So verse 3, For the Pharisees and all the Jews, a little condemnation here, all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly unless they wash their hands properly. Now, these parentheticals are one of the reasons why you'll hear pastors get up and say, this is how we know this gospel was written to this audience. Because if you have to explain this Jewish principle to the audience you're writing to, odds are your primary intended audience is not a Jewish audience. This is one of the reasons that we think, think, think that Mark was writing to the Romans to help explain all of these Jewish traditions that the Romans wouldn't have had any serious familiarity with. So I asked you, I I doubt you remember, but I asked you back when we began our series in Mark, back in January of 19, to be on the lookout for things that would tip tip us off as to who Mark's intended audience was. This is one of those things. When you see the writer explaining things, ask yourself, why would he explain this? Well, he would explain this because he doesn't believe his audience is going to understand it. I, as a Gentile, am very grateful for Mark's explanation here because I, as a non-Jewish Gentile living 2,000 years apart from this story, I'm missing a lot of context for this. So I love it when the scripture actually provides that added context for us. It's very, very helpful. So verse 3, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly. Now, after that word properly, there is a, uh, a little note in your ESV, a footnote. And uh, the word for properly actually is the word for a clenched hand, uh, which is an... Uh, I guess you could say it's a non-CDC approved way of washing your hands, right? So there was something about their their tradition where there was a clenched fist or possibly two clenched fists involved in the, the washing. I, I don't know the details around this, but there was something about a clenched fist. So we continue on to verse 3. Holding, Luke, are you paying attention? Here you go. This is the word. You remember the word? What was the Greek word? You remember it? When J. Arnold picked you up and walked you across our Sunday school classroom, the word was, I bet you got it. Did he say it right? Somebody tell me if he said it right. <laughs> there he is. I wonder if the Jews had a 20-second prayer and then they washed their hands. That, but possible. I don't know. Possible. Uh, and spurious is a word not used uh, nearly enough, Margie. I totally agree. Uh, because there's a lot of teaching out there that is spurious, which is why we just want to stick to the text. So the word for holding here is krateo, and they're holding on to, this is to seize, to use your strength and to really engage in gripping on to something. So this is what Mark's commentary on the Pharisees and the scribes theology is, that they are seizing on to this tradition of the elders. And this tradition is what we just looked at, all of these things that they have stacked on top of the actual scripture to the tradition of the elders. And these are the 
These are the senior members. These are the folks that in this society would have been deferred to. And, and quite frankly, we do this today. We tend to defer to those with more experience in a thing. Uh, however, this particular word, uh, presbyteros, is also a word that is used and is really key later on in Mark because this word can be used to describe a member of the Sanhedrin. And this is the group that would come together to uh, convict, if you will, Jesus and to accuse him and to put on this mock trial uh, so that ultimately he would be led uh, to his death. So these elders were in this position of authority. And oh, God help us. If we who have any level or measure of authority in the church misuse our authority and take our words to supersede the words of the scripture themselves, uh, th this is not how you use authority at all. Uh, so verse four, uh, and when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And again, this word uh, for wash here, this is actually a, a different word. Uh, this is a word that's actually closer to baptize. Um, uh, some uh, manuscripts might say purify themselves, but the idea here is to, to sprinkle onto. Um, so there's all this stuff going on here. And then uh, it continues in verse four, and there are many other the ESV provides the word traditions. The word tradition is not in the original. But you can read it this way. There are many others that they observe, such as washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. So this was just a snippet. Mark is telling us here, this is just a snippet of all the other stuff they've added on top of Scripture. So I beg us, I beg us, stop adding things to Scripture. Let the Scripture stand. Let the Scripture speak. God has given us exactly what we need. We can rest in his sovereign authority that he knows, that he, he understands all things and has put together exactly what we need and has given us the Holy Spirit to indwell in our hearts, to quicken us, to make the scripture alive for us so that we can understand it and has given us a church to come around us so that we as a group can know and study the scripture together. So we have what we need. We don't need extra rules and lists on top of this. So the, the text says, and there are many others, uh, many other traditions that they observe. This word uh, tr uh, observe is, uh, is actually, in English, it's one word. In Greek, it's two words. They kind of uh, put right next to each other. One means uh, to assume an office or to associate, to receive near. And the other is this strengthening, this, this seizing word again, this kriteo. So this is, they've brought something near and they've seized onto it. So I want you to, I want you to feel how aggressive the Pharisees and the scribes are toward their traditions. Because that's going to help us understand just a little bit why Jesus is so aggressive in his response. They're not showing up just griping about the disciples not washing their hands. They're showing up saying God's word isn't enough. And Jesus is not going to respond to that meekly and mildly. He's going to let them have it. So the rest of verse four there, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. Verse five, 
So we've ended this parenthetical. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him. So we're talking about Jesus again here. They've asked him. And your English translation just says, why do your disciples? There's a word in Greek that's actually omitted here. It's the word dia. It's, the, it's a preposition. It means through. Um, and the word why can also be translated who or which or what. Uh, it's, it's just a, it's a question-oriented uh, pronoun, uh, uh, pronoun here. So you could translate this through who do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? You, you can hear them asking, who gave them the authority to do that? And as the rabbi, as their teacher, as their one who they had committed to follow, it was Jesus who had allowed them to do that. So they are directly attacking his authority. And he has already declared himself several times in the Gospel of Mark to be God. So they are also attacking his, I would argue, his divinity. So they're attacking God's word. They're attacking Jesus's authority. And I believe they're attacking his divinity as well. And get ready <laughs> because he does not respond kindly. You see, the world today, many in the world have this picture of Jesus as someone who was unjustly treated, who died, and then I'm not really sure he came back from the dead, but bunnies, right? Like bunnies, That's it's really all about bunnies. Uh, and, and Jesus is really crystal clear here with the significance and the importance behind taking God's word, taking Jesus at who he is, and uh, who his, uh, where his authority is. So why do your disciples not walk or uh, follow or live according to the tradition? Again, this word tradition shows up here, paradosis, of the elders. So they're, they're, constantly, uh, they're, they're constantly referring back to where their authority comes from. And when you, when you uh, engage with someone in any kind of a, uh, a biblical or scriptural or a theological conversation, if if somebody you're having a conversation with makes reference to an authority that doesn't look like this, they've got the wrong authority. Because when I go and have a conversation with, when I go and have a conversation with somebody that is uh, engaging me around the scripture, I don't go and rely on what my pastors said. Because my pastors get their authority from the scripture. I just go back to the scripture because we can do that. This is good and helpful for us. So just key in on when somebody comes to Jesus and says, why don't you do this thing that they say is really good? Well, because they're not this. It's a shockingly simple answer, but sometimes we have to listen and look for motives and tips that people give us when they're engaging with us. So why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat the bread, you could insert it there, with defiled hands? Now, I want to I want to show you something here, and then we'll stop for today. We'll pick up with verse uh, 6 uh, next week, Lord willing. They have correctly identified the facts, right? Some, because Mark tells us, some of the disciples didn't wash their hands. Okay. 
we could say gross or not cool or not clean, whatever. But they have this, the Pharisees and the scribes have established, they have honed in on a couple of facts. But they've got all of this tradition stacked in front of those facts that they're trying to see through. And all this tradition blurs the facts. And have you ever had a conversation with somebody about the Bible? And they've got all this tradition stacked up in front of something that they observe. And you see that, well, if you just go back to the text and stick with the text, you'll get a totally different conclusion. Because if you'll peel away all this tradition, what shines forward is the actual words of God. So we'll stop there for uh, today. I want you to think about a couple of questions for next week, though. A couple of questions I've jotted down in my notes here. Um, how would you feel if you're one of Jesus' disciples and you're listening to these Pharisees and the scribes uh, attack basically you and your master? How would you be feeling at that point? Um, did Jesus ask the disciples to handle this question? Did he just turn to them and say, guys, you take this one? Um, so be thinking through how you would feel uh, in that space if you, uh, if you got that particular question. So just a couple of things as we finish up this morning. Uh, I would encourage you, if you want to hear more about this series, you can go to OurSundaySchool.com. Um, you can uh, click on the subscribe tab to uh, subscribe to our weekly podcast, our uh, YouTube channel, our weekly update, lots of things to subscribe to here. Most of them just point back to the actual teaching. Um, and then uh, our, if you're interested in becoming a member of our Sunday School, what you don't do is you don't uh, send an invite request to the private Facebook page. That's not how this works. What I want you to do is click on the subscribe tab uh, and look at the, uh, I'm sorry, click on the about us tab at OurSundaySchool.com. Uh, listen to that lesson and then send me an email and say, hey, Jim, I want to commit to the expectations of members for our Sunday school. And once you do that, then we'll uh, walk you through uh, the process of getting to the right place uh, for membership. And then lastly, this morning, uh, our prayer time. Uh, so if you have any uh, prayer requests, uh, love you to put those into the comments. We'd love to pray over those. Uh, ask you to lean in, engage, and pray for somebody that's not with you this morning. So feel free to pray for another member that you've seen join us. Uh, several other folks that have joined there. I appreciate you being here. Um, uh, hey, Chris Cordes is here. Awesome. And Chandelier's here. Fantastic. Oh, and you got comments about uh, hand washing. So... Wonderful. Uh, and then uh, go to the Stewart Heights Facebook page at 10 o'clock this morning for our uh, Easter worship, our Easter from the couch. So thank you so much for being with us this morning. We appreciate your attendance. Uh, we appreciate your support. Uh, thank you for those of you that gave me some feedback on this particular setup. I appreciate that very much. Would love to hear uh, continued feedback. So if you see some things that we could improve, you see some things that are not helpful for getting uh, the message of Mark out, then would love to know. Uh, I am in no way, shape, or form an expert on any of this. Some of you are, and I have counted on uh, you to give us good feedback so that we could engage uh, as well as we can. Uh, I'll leave you with this. He is risen. He is risen indeed. God bless you. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.